Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 is our text today. If you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. And we're so delighted to be able to share these Christmas messages with you, this trilogy of messages. We started last week with the King of Christmas, and uh, we looked at the Incarnation. The King of Christmas has come. And today we look at the King of Christmas gives his life, and we're going to look at the word substitution. And then next week, which is Christmas Eve, uh, the King of Christmas is for you. And we're going to look at the word invitation. So those are our three uh, messages that the Lord has laid on my heart and continues to lay on my heart as I prepare these messages to give to us during this Christmas season. Thank you, Mark. You did a great job uh, singing that song. I know uh, Ross and Tanya are very proud of him. They did a great job. Oh, it's just good. Love, love, love this time of the year. And so uh, if I haven't said it already, I just appreciate so much the decorations in our church campus. The, the sanctuary here just looks beautiful. There's a nativity scene over here to my right and to your left. You get a chance to see that. And so it's just my favorite uh, time of, of the year. So we're going to look today, we're going to look at Joseph. Uh, we're going to look at him and his life and notice some characteristics and traits of his life that are worthy of our imitation. And then, secondly, we're going to look at, first, well, we're going to look most of all at Jesus and how he is the God-man and he is worthy of our worship. The key person of Christmas, of course, is Jesus. And the prevailing spirit of Christmas is one of giving. I really want you to think about that really thesis of my message today, that the key personality of Christmas obviously is the Christ of Christmas and the key spirit or the spirit that best resembles what God has done for us is this whole spirit of giving. So in my preparation and in my mind, I have just been walking through the key personalities of the Christmas narrative, and I know I'll leave somebody out, but I'm because there are so many wonderful characters, but every one of them has a defining characteristic that is best described as, to me, as the spirit of Christmas. Well, l let me get, begin with the mythical figure of, of Santa Claus. And I, I know, and Preacher, you and I were talking about this the other day, how Preacher mentioned Santa Claus in a message years ago, and he, and he got some mean emails or some mean letters. I, can't, I don't know anything what that's like, brother, to get any kind of mean, negative publicity, you know, anything like that. But he said, then I followed it up, and he said, and I described St. Nick. And where we really get the, that word Santa Claus, really it comes from a person, St. Nicholas. And so I got to thinking about that. And I was thinking about this bishop in the 3rd century A.D. He was from wealthy parents, and his parents died. And so he obeyed Jesus' command in Matthew 19, 21. In A.D. 270, he was born. Nicholas of Myra was his name, and he just began to give gifts to everybody uh, in, in his area. He was, later on, he became the bishop. He became bishop of Myra, and, and he is known today as a person who was so generous and so benevolent, and he gave, and so St. Nick, that's really the, the, the genesis or the origin of this whole concept of, of Santa Claus. And I know you're glad I shared that with you, and you're welcome, all right? That's, that's good. Thank you, preacher, for reminding me of that. That is a great story. Okay, so let's come on into the biblical narrative, and what, is that, what does that look like? Well, there's so many. You know, where, where do you begin? Well, I love to begin maybe even with, uh, with the wise men. The wise men came, and they gave those three gifts. What were they? Gold 
and frankincense and myrrh. But then the Bible says in the narrative that they knelt down and they gave their worship to the Christ child. And then we see the shepherds and the angels, and they join this chorus. The angels are in heaven and the shepherds are on earth. And when you read Luke chapter 2, they just erupt this, this tremendous crescendo of praise and worship to God. And the shepherds, from there they go and give testimony and glory to God for what they have seen. Oh, there's Herod. Herod's in the Christmas narrative in Matthew chapter 2, and he's the Scrooge of the story, right? I mean, he is not interested in giving. He is interested in receiving. He's really not interested in worshiping Jesus. He wants the worship of Jesus to come to him. And then who are some of these other characters? Well, obviously there's, there's Mary. And I love to read of Mary and how she gave birth to the Christ child and and all the misunderstandings and all the things that she had to deal with and the stigma. Yeah, right, virgin born. Yeah, right. I, we know how, how this went down. And No, 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 I'm serious. And, an angel appeared to me, and, and the Holy Spirit has... He, this is of the Holy Spirit. I have not known my betrothed husband, jo- Joseph. And yeah, yeah, right. Can you imagine sort of the, the looks that she got? And so what she gave, she gave very much. And then there's, there's Joseph. And we'll look at him in, in a moment, and, and I'm going to hold him up today as an example for us worthy of our imitation. Then, of course, uh, the preeminent figure is Jesus. And Jesus comes as a promise from the Old Testament delivered to us by God the Father. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have uh, everlasting life. So the spirit of Christmas is one Really, and it's best encapsulated in this word of giving. St. Nicholas of Myra, A.D. 70. There he is. One more thing about him I found interesting. In A.D. 325, the early church created what we call the Nicene Creed. And this guy was a part of the council that helped create the Nicene Creed. So just a factoid for some of you historical buffs like me. All right, so Joseph, a man worthy of imitation. Let's go to the text In Matthew chapter 1, I read verses 18 through 25. And let me just say again, again, I'm just very, very glad that you are here today. You have gotten yourself in a place, a posture, if you will, to be blessed and then in turn go and be a blessing. I said it earlier, let me just say it again. Guess we're really, really glad that you're here. And there are some that are kind of making their way back toward the church and back toward God. And and you're like, how am I going to be received? You know, what will it be like? Will I be shamed? Will I be ostracized? Will I be stick? No, no. We are absolutely overjoyed that God has so orchestrated events in your life that you are here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I hope you find a people that love you, a people that are embracing you, that are people that love God, love one another, love His Word. And so we're so very glad that you're here. So enter in with us as we worship today. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. And by the time, by the way, whenever you see angels and they interact with mankind, a lot of times there's a lot of fear, right? You're like, whoa, there's an angelic being. Hadn't seen that before. And so the angel a lot of times would say, okay, it's okay, chill out. Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Can I stop here for just a minute and interject this word? The Christmas narrative and really the entire biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation is predicated on a word, and that word is supernatural. Our God is a supernatural God. He goes way beyond our reason, our empiricism, our rationale. And if you have a problem with the supernatural, then you're obviously going to have a problem with God. You're going to have a problem with Christmas. You're going to have a problem with everything. It amazes me that we can believe that we are on planet Earth and we're circling on the Earth and we're elliptically rotating around a big star in the heavens. And if we get just a little bit closer than those 93 million miles, then we'll burn up. And if we go just a little further away, we'll freeze to death. And yet we believe all this and we're grateful for mm, I tell you, if God can do that, if God can put us in orbit and we're not just flying off the axis somewhere and, we're, and he can do all that, mm, and God can send Jesus and rise him from the dead, and if God can give us a book, the Bible, let me tell you something, this is an awesome God. This is a God that we worship. And this is a God that loves you. This is a God that is for you. And by the way, let me just give a little advertisement, a little advertisement. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, right? I hope you just grab somebody, put them on your elbow, and, and bring them to church with you. Because the title of the sermon, I haven't written it yet, but it's in here. It's in here somewhere, all right? It's called, The King of Christmas is for you. He's not against you. We invite you to come to faith in Christ. Okay, let me get back to the narrative here, the Christmas. There I am, here I am. Okay, here I am, verse 22. There it is. Oh, verse 21, here it is. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves. Jehovah is salvation. Saves. For he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying. Now Matthew, the gospel writer, is going to give us a quote, Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. I love that. God is, he doesn't hate us. God is not up there just wanting to... He, he's just up there some cosmic killjoy wants to kill us. No, God is with us. God is for us. He wants to romance our hearts and reconcile us to himself, the God that created us. So Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did. Oh, that verb got all over me this week. You said it does not take much to get you excited. No, 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 let me tell you something. The verb did means that Joseph obeyed the angel of God. And, you know, that's just a simple, basic axiom of the Christian faith. Whenever God asks us to do something, if we will just do it, mm -mm, our lives will be enormously blessed. Thank you, Joseph. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Some of you are like, well, if an angel appeared to me, Brother Danny, I'd obey too. Ain't no angel appeared to me, so I just don't know if I'm about all this. Let me tell you something. Ooh, man, I couldn't wait to share this with you. I'm no angel, but I'm here before you with the word of God, and God is speaking through me to tell you today he is for you. He loves you. God bless you. There's your angelic message today. I've, you don't need angels when you got me. Amen. I'm just kidding. You know I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. God bless you. <laughs> Okay, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
and took to him his wife. Didn't secretly divorce her. That's his plan. Our plans are always humanity's attempts and our rationale. We can figure this out. God, we got this all figured out. No, God's plans are always better. And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he, what is the pronoun he? Who does it refer to? It would be Joseph. He was the first to call him or name him. He called his name Jesus. So let's look, first of all, at this Joseph, a man worthy of imitation. Let's walk through the text, and then we'll focus on Christ and his salvation. And that's our, that's our plan today. Verse 18 says that he, they were betrothed. Now, that's an interesting word when it says in verse 18, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. That was an engagement on steroids, if you will, in, in the modern nomenclature. When you were betrothed then, in order to break that betrothal or engagement, you had to go through a divorce proceeding. That's how serious this engagement was. And so in verse 19, it refers to her husband, Joseph. Even though they are betrothed, you could speak to them almost as if they are husband and wife, though they have not consummated the marriage. They have not had sexual relations, okay? They have not done that because they are betrothed. They are they are engaged. Verse 18 reveals again this whole supernatural, miraculous nature of Jesus' birth. And you, you, Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they became together. And here it is. She was found with a child. You say, how in the world can a woman be found with child if she has not known a man? Again, this is the supernatural divine intervention of Almighty God. This is called the virgin birth. And it is miraculous it is supernatural. Our finite minds cannot explain it. We just have to admit that this is the work of God. This is the miracle of God. And you have to be at peace with that. You have to be humble yourself before that. Say, God, you're just smarter than me. I don't know how you pulled this off, but you did. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah 7, 14, fulfilled in Matthew 1, 18. Now, Joseph in verse 19 is called a just man. He is a righteous man. He's not cruel and he is not unkind or unjust, and he, he decided to put her away secretly, divorce her. All he needed, according to Deuteronomy 24.1, the law, was to have two witnesses and a bill of divorce. So he could have got a couple of his buddies and just said, Mary, here's how this is going to go down. I, I, I know what you're telling me about all this divinity and all this Holy Spirit impregnating you kind of thing. I, 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 this is way beyond me. Let, let's just do this. Let's end this thing now. And so I'll just, I won't make a big show of it. I'll just have a, two of my buddies, we'll write up a bill of divorcement, and then as an Israelite man, I have the prerogative, I have the ability to do this, and I'm going to divorce you and put you away uh, secretly, and you just go and live your life, go and do what, what you think God is calling you to do. God bless you. See you. That was in his mind. That's what he was going to do. Now, don't judge him. What would you do? What would you do, sir? If your fiancé said, by the way, I'm pregnant with God's child, <laughs> you go, we're going we're to enter you in some psychiatric help here. You know, no, no, leave, leave, leave. No. That's what he was thinking, and God knew that's what he was thinking, so God sends this angelic being. Look at it, verse 20. An angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. says, do not fear. You are a son of David. You are of the lineage of King David. And the Messiah, as the Israelites knew, that 
Messiah would come through the lineage of David. And so I think Matthew is cluing us in on this in verse 20. You are a son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. And then it repeats it. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, the angel gives this clear command, a directive, that you will call his name Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name, church. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves or Jehovah is salvation. As we walk through the text, we're going to get to this in a moment, but stay with me. Verse 22 and 23, Matthew connects this angelic message and the events of Christ's birth back to Old Testament prophecy. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence, a New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, he said that the apostles appealed to two undisputed facts to vindicate, to exonerate, if you will, the claims of Jesus that he was the true Messiah. The two things they appealed to, and by the way, I would encourage us as apologists today give defense for the Christian faith to appeal to these two factual points. One was the resurrection from the dead. The early church, they would always go back, but Jesus conquered death. He must be the Messiah. The second one was the fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament. There are almost 300 prophecies fulfilled in the Old Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, some of those prophecies have yet to be fulfilled because we're awaiting his second advent. But the early church appealed to those two bedrock, foundational, fundamental truths that Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, he lived a perfect, godly life. He died a criminal's death, though he did nothing wrong. He died for the sins of the world. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. He had no money. He had no means of this world. He did not really even have a place to lay his head. They placed him in a borrowed tomb. But here's the difference of Jesus and all the other prophets and all the other religious leaders from then till today up from the grave. He arose. Jesus Christ arose from the grave. And we appeal to that for you to consider that. Consider the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and also consider the fact that the Old Testament, 39 books written over a thousand years of time, they all coalesce and they are all fulfilled, those prophetic statements, in one man, in one God-man, Jesus Christ. And so Matthew connects the prophecy. And in verse 24, I said it a moment ago, let me just say it again, Joseph did. He was obedient to the angel's message. And this is a reason why I'm holding him up today as a worthy model for us to emulate. That Joseph obeyed the angelic voice. Joseph heard from the voice of God, if you will. And then he just did what God asked him to do. Let me ask you a question today. What is God asking you to do? Is God telling you, do not divorce her? Is God telling you, be more patient with your children? Is God speaking to you today through the voice of His Holy Spirit saying, it is time for you to come now and dedicate your life completely to Christ? What is it that the voice of the Spirit is calling? If you want to be like Joseph, if you want to posture yourself in a place of blessing and obedience, then just say, God, here I am. I simply want to do what you're asking me to do. There's some other things about him that I find so praiseworthy. Verse 25 says he is a just man. 
and yet he is a man of compassion and mercy. A lot of times, and unfortunately, Christianity has so truncated this, this dichotomy, if you will, that, that it's left a world very confused about Christians. Because Christians are viewed as either too syrupy sweet or, or too legalistic law, right? We, we gravitate on this side of, all oh, shucks, doesn't matter. God's just a big grandpa up in heaven. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how you live. He'll forgive you. Just do. Go live like you want to live. And then the other group says, no, no, no. You heathen and reprobate. God's going to judge you. Send you straight to hell. And so where is the truth in all of this? Just syrupy sweet man. Just go party. Hey, and, and then wake up. You got a hangover. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. Amen. And then go party some more. And then the legalist says, you reprobate. You can't do The truth is right here. We are to be full of grace and we're to love we're to love people and say no you know what you don't want to do that you don't want to live that kind of life because you're going to wake up with a hangover the next day and you're going to feel miserable about it God's got a better plan for you okay and over here we'll say that's right because God just knows better than we do God is a God of truth he's a God mm, 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 holiness justice and righteous he is but he's also a God of great compassion and mercy and love and forgiveness. And when we bring those two together, then we are more like Jesus Christ and we present an awesome witness to a hurting world. And Joseph, he is finding this balance here. Look at this text. The wicked borrows and does not repay. You say, what in the world has that got to do with Joseph? Keep reading. But the righteous, look at Brother Danny for just a minute. But the righteous shows mercy and he gives. You see, Joseph is a just man. But he shows compassion and mercy toward Mary. He said, I, I will just put you away secretly. But the Holy Spirit comes and says, well, Joseph, that's your plan. But I got a better plan. Why don't you take her to be your wife and watch what I will do? Yes, this is fun. Thank you, Lord. The person of Christmas is Jesus, and the spirit that best captures Christmas is giving. I heard this week a true story of a lady, and I, I, tried, I heard it on the radio, and I tried to, to be a good detective and sleuth and check this down, but I could not find all the facts. But I know I heard, I don't think it was an angel speaking to me, all right? I, I really think I heard this on the radio. There's a lady in a state somewhere in the United States, and she had this idea. She said, you know, for all the delivery truck drivers out there. And she goes, they're just coming. They're just rip-roaring up and down my highway. And some of them drop at my house and give me the Amazon, amen, prime, here it is. And how many of y'all are shopping online like that? I'm just curious. Oh, your hands in the air like you just don't care. Look what's up with y'all. That is true. We're going from bricks to clicks, right? We're going from bricks and mortar in the malls to the clicks of the mouse and I like them both. Well, anyhow, back to my story. Quit interrupting me. i got to go back to my story here. My ADD, it, it interrupts me. So she has, um, she, she puts a box of goodies on her porch filled with water and potato chips and, and, and uh, what do you call it, candy bars. And she goes, dear delivery truck driver, Merry Christmas. Help yourself in the spirit of Christmas. I'm giving you a blessing. And she says, it's amazing to watch those truck drivers. They come in, they go, Ooh, and they just grab it, drink it, grab it, and go. To me, that's, that's, that's the spirit of Christmas. It, it's more interested in, in giving, and I, I think we're most like God 
when we have this attitude of gratitude, this attitude of giving, not demanding, not what do I get out of this, but what is God wanting me to give out of this? So Jesus, the God-man, worthy of worship. We look at him in verse 21. The name, his very name means Yahweh saves. He is the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies, right? When you look at Isaiah chapter 53 and you see this Messiah, this coming suffering servant, he will live this life and die this vicarious death. He will, he will be misunderstood and, and, and the world will crucify him. And yet in Isaiah's mind, their suffering servant will come and he will be slaughtered for his sheep. The shepherd will be killed. He will be, he will be struck, smitten. And, and we will esteem him as forsaken of God, but he is actually the fulfillment of God's gift to us for our salvation. And that's why the angel says, he will save his people from their sins. Can I ask you a question tonight, Great Hills, this morning? How will Jesus save people from their sins? First of all, he has to be sinless. He cannot be like us in the sense of with this Adamic sinful nature. No, he is born of the Virgin Mary. Totally unique kind of birth. And the only person who was ever born this way, the only person who ever will be born this way, he is the sinless one. And so how does he save us from our sins? He's sinless. And then he goes to the cross and does for us what none of us can do for ourselves. He dies for our sins. He pays the penalty, the price of all the dastardly things that we have done, all the shameful, guilty acts of sin that you have done, that I have done. The Bible says that we needed a Savior. We needed a substitute. We needed somebody that would go on that cross, and Jesus said, I will do it. I'm the only one that can do it. I've never sinned, and I am a perfect sacrifice to the Father. So here's what I will do. I will go to the cross and I will die for your sins, all the ugly things that you have done. I'll put them on me, and I will pay the price with my blood so that the heavenly Father is pleased and appeased. His holy wrath is appeased, and so that if you believe in me and trust in me, then all your sins are forgiven, and you go to heaven when you die. Hallelujah! That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, no other religion has that. No other religion has that. That is the pinnacle. That is the beauty of Christianity. That Jesus, that baby Jesus born in a manger of the Virgin Mary dies on Good Friday and that on Easter Sunday, glory to God, up from the grave, he arose. He is our king. That's how he saves us from our sins. But it's not automatic. It's not automatic. You say, wait a minute, what, what do I have to do? You have to do very little when you think about it. You got to believe. You just got to believe it. You got to receive it. And you got to say, you did that for me. I'm so sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. And I give you my life. I give you my worship. And you are my king. He will save his people from their sins. That's Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered one time for sins, the just one for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh. Think about the cross. And then he was made alive by the Spirit. 
Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The secret sauce of life that so many people miss is that in order to be blessed, I mean really to be blessed, you have to follow the example of Christ and give your life away. I'm 53 years of age. I know I look a lot older because I got snow on the mountain. Amen. I got uh, chimney, smoke on the chimney, snow on the mountain. Y'all know what I'm saying. My daughter thinks I ought to dye my hair. What do y'all think about that? My wife says, please, please don't do that. And Hannah says, oh, Dad. And Hannah took her long hair last night. We were standing in the bathroom. This is a funny sight. And Hannah draped her long hair over me, what that would look like. It looked hideous. I just want to tell you, okay? <laughs> her hair's beautiful on her head, but... What in the world? Whoa, why did I say that? I don't know. <laughs> the secret sauce of life. Those that really get life, get it all, are those that have the spirit of, of giving. Joseph obeyed. Can, can I just say this to you? Basically, Joseph gave his life away to Mary. He's going to bear all the brunt of the misunderstanding. He's going to have to answer these questions for the rest of his life. He's got to bear this, this shame, if you will. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right, you didn't know her. What, what, what happened to you? Did you tell me God did all this? Well, yes, God did. Well, he had to live with that. But Joseph, and like all great people of faith, are people that are more concerned with giving than they are receiving. I'm 53 years of old. That's where I was going with that. And it's like God is showing me this. It's almost like this year I've begun to understand this more and a deeper level than I've ever understood it in my life. God has put responsibilities in my life where... It was going to take me time and effort, no remuneration, no pay for this. It's just going to be an act of selfless giving of myself to different boards and ministries and opportunities in the city. And I think, I think I really wrestled with that because I'm selfish. I think it took me so long to say yes to the request of these pastors in our city. It took me so long because I'm selfish. At heart, I'm selfish. And I'm like, well, what's in it for me? And if I do all of that, then what, what, how, am I, how is that going to me? 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 You say, you're a pastor for heaven's sakes. You just ought to, rip, you ought to get out of the ministry. Well, let me just tell you something. I'm telling you my struggle. And But finally, when I said, okay, God, this is obviously what you want me to do because I did not look for this. You want me to do this. So I did it, and I'm serving and working harder than I ever have, and I feel so very, very blessed. So what is God asking of you? He said, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were, I knew you were confessing your sin because you were going to come after me. Yes, I am. <laughs> it's good for pastors to confess because we're not perfect. There's a point you can be too transparent, but I don't think that's our problem. I think sometimes we're not transparent enough. But I really do think, Holy Spirit, show me. You didn't want to give this up because you're selfish at heart. 
So, Lord, take this heart. Make it more like Christ. I never feel so free and so blessed than when I am giving. Y'all heard about the bot that stole Christmas? The bot that stole Christmas. New York Times has an article just a couple days ago. Well, it's December the 6th. Headlines, the bot that stole Christmas. Not the Grinch, but the B-O-T. Y'all know what bots are? Those of you in computer world, you, you know. I'm about to butcher this, but basically, Wilson is kind of a bot. The IBM, you talk to him, you know. But he's a good bot. The bad bot, the B-O-T, are, is this computer software that it, it just kind of spreads throughout the cyber world. And whenever there is a, whenever there is a toy... Whenever there's something that is valuable, the bots buy it up like the Grinch, all right, and sells it for way more than it's worth. Come on, y'all help me. Tickle me, Elmo. Y'all remember Elmo in the 80s? Cabbage Patch dolls. Remember uh, just a few years ago, the, the, the Star Wars droid thing? All of those are the rage then. Well, guess what the rage is now? It's called fingerlings. Fingerlings. These creatures, animals, you put them on your finger. And you wear it around like this. And they sell for $15 a pop. And Toys R Us, Walmart, Target, they're all out. The bots got them. The bots went out in the cyber world and bought them all up, used different email addresses, and the bots, the Grinch, has them. <laughs> you know what I mean? What? Mr. Bots, he got it, all right? They are selling for as much as $5,000. They cost $15. You say, well, I wish I would have thought of the bots. And I wanted to, you nip with. That's the whole point of the sermon. We don't want that. We don't want the bots that stole Christmas. We, we don't want to buy something for $15 and sell it for $5,000. You say, well, brother, you just wouldn't make a good businessman. No, I guess I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't. Because that whole consumerism... Let me just kind of go out in the, in the stratosphere of the cyber world and buy up all of these. There's a whole article in the New York Times about the bots. The bots that stole Christmas toys like fingerlings are snapped up and resold. I don't want that. If we're not careful, we're, we're going to get trapped and caught in all the trappings and commercialism of Christmas. And we're going to be so consumed with getting that we miss that the beauty and the joy of Christmas is giving. Giving our lives in service to Christ. Giving our tithes. I'm reaching back here because that's where I keep my wallet. Giving my tithes and my offerings to my church, to my Lord, to whom I love. And so Joseph is a worthy model of imitation because he's just. He's obedient. He's humble. But Jesus, the God-man, is worthy of our worship because he gave his life. He gave his life so that we could live eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for you. We close our sermon today. Lord, you're awesome. We thank you for the Christmas narrative. We thank you, Lord, for these smaller meta-narratives that are just woven together in a beautiful tapestry. Lord, this beautiful palette colors where, God, you, you have to be real. I mean, we can't make this stuff up. And thank you, Lord, for for sending the Christ to die for us, 
so we could be born again. Lord, I pray if there's one person in this room today, and Lord, the truth be known, there's not just one. There's probably dozens of people in this room today. That Lord, they have been consumed with pride and with selfishness and fear and shame. And Lord, your desire is to take all of that away and to give them eternal life. Lord, as I was saying a moment ago, the key for all of us is to believe, to trust in you. God, would you help us trust in you? With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let, let me give you a great verse here. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus will save his people from their sins. But God demonstrated his love toward us while we were sinners, Christ died for us, the just one for the unjust one, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in his flesh. But he's raised to life. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left this crimson stain, but now Jesus, he washes it white as snow. You say, I want that. How, how do I get rid of this bot Christmas Grinch spirit that is so selfish I treat my wife not like I should. I don't treat my kids like I don't treat my employees like I should. I don't treat my husband like I should. I don't treat my grandkids like I should because I'm all so consumed with me. How do I get rid of that? Well, it takes a divine transaction. It takes Christ coming within you. And then when you walk with the Lord day by day, He slowly and He beautifully transforms you more and more to His image. And that's where I am. I was converted to Christ when I was 19. I'm 53, and he's still working on me <laughs> to make me what I ought to be. Would you begin that journey today? If you would allow me, sir, ma'am, just to be bold with you for a moment, would you call upon the name of Christ, receive the greatest gift you could receive, and that is the gift of salvation. Father, I thank you that you are for us. You don't hate us, but you absolutely adore us and you love us as your creation. Lord, as you reveal yourself in the sweetness and the quietness of this moment, I pray that there would be lots of receptivity and no rejection. Some would receive you for the very first time and be born again. And Lord, I pray as they do that, just a simple yes, Jesus, I'm in. And Lord, we'd come alongside them. We would encourage them and help them in their walk with you. And as I pray for those of us who walk with you, Lord, help us to be like Joseph. Help us to be just men who are full of mercy. Help us find that elusive balance, God. Help us to be full of grace and truth like you, Jesus, like you. So, Lord, bless our invitation. We pray it's a time of salvation. We pray this is a fountain that overflows with the water of life, and those of us that are thirsty come and drink and have our spiritual thirst, Lord, just slated and quenched and satisfied. Lord, we love you. Let it be known that this big group of people here at 10,500 Jollyville that call themselves Great Hills Baptist Church, that God, we love you, and we're so blessed to have a relationship with you. Now help us go and be a blessing to others, to our families to our neighborhoods, and to the nations of this world. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said what? Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's have our time of commitment to the Lord. God bless you. You may want to just come to this altar and pray or have somebody pray with you.
That would be our joy. That would be our privilege. Would you come even now as we sing?